this is Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. I'm Drake Patterson, and you're listening to Send Central. A little bit of adversity when he first came down from Ottawa, which is usually an adjustment for any kind of skilled guy back to the American League. And, um, you know, we weren't quite worried about him with the nine-game uh, pointless streak because we knew that he would, you know, come around just because of his work ethic and his detail and his game and his, his love to play the game of hockey. Might have another storm brewing in Ottawa, and that, of course, is the one involving <laughs> the, the, the pending UFAs. Storm disshanted to Zingle. Hello and welcome. It's making sense of the sense. I'm Ross Levitan, and I have a fun fact for you, Brandon Piller. Let's hear it. What is the lowest uniform number never to be worn by an Ottawa senator? Three? No. Zdeno Chera. Number eight is the correct answer because it was retired for Frank Finnegan, the original Ottawa senator from the early 1900s. But 54 is the next number. That has never been worn by a modern-day Ottawa Senator. Of course, it's episode 54 of Making Sense of the Sense. I mentioned I'm Ross Levitan. Just Brandon Pillar with me today. Chris Parliament unable to make his schedule work, but we'll have him back on next. We'll get his opinion on Belleville's hot streak, which we'll touch on. We've got the Ottawa Senators in, would you say, freefall mode? They're 2-4 and four since we last recorded a podcast with a two-win sandwich between... Two losses on either side. It's been free fall for quite a while. I would definitely say that. But you know what? They've been starting to turn it around. And that game against Winnipeg, that was a convincing win, that 5-2 game. I mean, granted, most of that offense came from Stone, Dezingle, Duchesne, with Smitty getting one goal in there, though. But they're, they're turning it around. The numbers are staggering. And we'll hold off. We'll let you know. That Ryan Dezingle, Matt Duchesne, and Mark Stone, the Sens UFAs, as they're so amicably known, if you're an Ottawa Senators fans, have combined for 51% of the Senators' goals since January 2nd, their first game of 2019. They've combined for 24 of 47 goals for. Isn't that just unbelievable? I don't think there's a team in the league who has that skewed offense. Maybe Colorado at the start of the season, but that's unprecedented. Yeah, maybe Dallas as well. They're pretty top-heavy, but it just it just goes to show all, all the other teams we mentioned, Colorado and Dallas, they've got those guys locked up long-term or at least have full intentions of locking them up long-term, not... What are we? A two weeks till the deadline, and just still, under. and still, things are uncertain. I mean, that's just scary. It's February thirteenth as we're recording right now in the TSN studios. Should mention, got a great interview coming up. Henry, also known at Sends Prospects on all the social media, makes the best gifts. If you need a one-stop shop for every Senator's prospect, he's your man. So we catch up with him. We hadn't talked to him since the Carlson trade. So we get what he thinks the ceiling is for Rudolph Balsers, Josh Norris, what the likelihood of Joey Decord becoming an NHLer after this college season. And with all the talk about the high-end prospects with Brady Kachuk, with Logan Brown, there's got to be some guys that are forgotten. So we ask him, who do you think of the forgotten prospects has the best chance to be an NHLer? Stay tuned for that. But we talk about all this money and locking it up. Well, guess what, Brandon? 2021 to 2025, we are going to have unprecedented 
success. That might be the biggest story that's come out of this two and four stretch is during the game against the Maple Leafs, not after, not on an off day, during the game, it was the middle of the second period, a press release comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I think maybe uh, ownership was trying to hide the fact that they promised they were going to spend more money, even if it's in the future. But, man, just when you're promised to spend close to the cap. What does that mean? I don't, we don't, exactly, exactly. It's so ambiguous. It's like, yeah, I'll do it later. Yeah, and it's just it's just weird that you would put that timeline in now, like you said, in the middle of a game. And so what? We're just going to do our best to hit the floor, the cap floor, until then? Is that is that what the message is? Funny you should ask, Brandon, because I went on to our good friends at Cap Friendly. And 2021, that's in three years. So I think I started this one year early. I believe they mean the 2021-2022 season. This, yeah. of course, was Eugene Melnick talking at a sponsorship event at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto where... Eugene Melnick likes to do most of his talking, whether it's on the Fan 590 on the radio or whether it's apparently making brash claims in front of all of his players, by the way, were there too. So you got to wonder what that means. They're like, oh, so we're not going to try to win for the next few seasons. Although, I mean, the jury's out on whether it's a good idea because we've seen Chicago, we've seen Pittsburgh build through the draft of having multiple high picks. So can't wait for ours this June. <laughs> uh, but looking forward, you look at 2020-2021, the Sens only have three forwards, one defenseman, and four non-roster players locked up for a grand total, $11.42 million up front, one defenseman currently, and that's Maxime Lajoie and his whopping $710,000 contract. The third highest paid player, that they have on the books is Dion Phaneuf's retained salary of yeah. 175. Of course, Gabrick being on the long-term IR, and then Drake Batherson, Alex Formanton, Parker Kelly, and Logan Brown. Those those are the only guys that you have signed. And it's just funny because those are sort of outlier contracts because they're all entry-level deals or the mammoth contract of Bobby Ryan. The only normal contract there is Zach Smith, and that's the last year of his deal. Yeah, and that's another one who I think the Sens would be happy to move. Yeah. But at some point, you're going to have to hit the floor as Nick Rutkowski so, so amicably mentioned. It was so nice of the way he's like, oh, you know what? If we trade one of the most beloved senators of all time, don't worry. We have to take money back. Maybe yeah. you'll get Jeff Carter, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, that and that's just the worst because it's almost condescending. Like, he almost was like... That whole interview was. Yeah, it's almost like, oh, guys, I think you're forgetting. We have to reach the cap floor. That's exciting. We're going to we're going to get some great players with big cap hits coming back when we trade all the players that you guys want to keep. Isn't you, that fun? You can be sure that every one of those big cap hits will have a smaller attached salary. Those old yes. back diving contracts that became famous during the 2012-2013 lockout. You don't think those are going to arise? Man, if only Leafs fans, you have no idea how lucky you are where real money is what's not important, but cap space is. Whereas if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, the cap money is what they want, and they want low real money. It's just, it's sad. MLSE is about to cut a $50 million check July on July 1st. 1st. Yeah. And that's before Marner. And if he gets signed before July 1st, you can bet there's going to be a big signing bonus due to him as well. I don't even want to know what the Sens would have to do to have $50 million available on one day for one player. 
They don't. Ooh. Sheesh. Zero percent chance. We're going to break down the in all likelihood, and we're going to preface this by saying stop listening after the interview if and when Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne sign because it's going to be painful for us to do, but we're at the point now, 10 days away from the deadline, we have to talk about potential suitors and potential returns for these star players who we wish never How did we happened. get here? How did we get a long and winding road? Less Brandon? than two weeks away from the trade deadline, and we're still not sure the future of Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone, and Ryan Dezingle, the players who, as we earlier mentioned, are scoring all the goals for this team. Yeah. Well, and fans can't how can you enjoy watching them score at this point? It's like, huh, cool. Well, it's it's sad, but my enjoyment from watching them score is trade value just went up. Yeah, we'll see what Pierre Dorian could potentially get for that. We'll also talk after the interview about who is really an untouchable in this Sens organization beyond Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat, the two pillars. There's not many. There certainly isn't. But there's not many better in the Sens Twitter sphere than Sens Prospects. So without further ado, here's our chat earlier with Henry, a.k.a. at Sens Prospects. You already follow him, but if you haven't, get on it. And now we are very pleased to welcome now recurring guest. So that means you got to keep coming on whenever we need you. Like five minutes notice, doesn't matter. Henry, also <laughs> known as at Sends Prospects on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud. Are you on Facebook? You may as well get the whole trifecta going. Absolutely. Instagram too. Oh man, where aren't you on the internet? He's posting GIFs of live in-game action. And for all the Senators prospects from Turku, Finland, where his favorite Marcus Nurmi's still <laughs> setting up shop to University of North Dakota, where the Sens have a couple high draft picks, you name it, he's on it. But we have to start with the hottest player, we'll say in pro hockey, definitely in the American Hockey League, and that's Drake Batherson. And it all comes full circle because last summer we had him on right after we chatted with you, and you said, ask him if he can beat his dad's rookie pro totals. Of course, that was with the PEI Senators, who have been in the news for having those unbelievable throwback sweaters worn by the Charlottetown Islanders. Norm Batherson was in attendance there. In his rookie year, he had 14 goals, 23 assists for 37 points. Well, it only took Drake 37 games. He's already got 16 goals. The hat trick on Saturday night with Pillar and I in attendance uh, put him over that. And then, of course, he helped out on Logan Brown's overtime winner against the Marlies. 44 points. Did he even surpass your expectations, Henry, going into his first full year? I think he's got a like he surpassed his own expectations at this point. You know, he's sort of a, a timid guy, doesn't want to brag or uh, you know doesn't doesn't maybe have the swagger he should yet. But this has just been a pretty incredible season so far. Yeah, and it can only keep getting better. I mean, he's he's been playing in the NHL a little bit too, and now he's back in Belleville lighting it up. So hopefully, we can see him continue to light it up in Belleville because. Don't don't look too quickly, but the Belleville Senators, they're not out of this playoff race just yet. No, not at all. And I want to ask Henry, because there, there's a lot of talk. You know, there's a, a big chemistry developing between Drake Bass and Logan Brown. We've seen your gifts. Like, did we just become best friends? Because they're helping each other out on almost every goal. So my question is, regardless of what happens at the trade deadline, what do you think is more beneficial for these guys going forward, that pair specifically, to gain that chemistry and make a push to the playoffs with the Belleville Senators, 
or to get NHL experience. And no matter what the culture might be in Ottawa with losing games and such, is that NHL experience so invaluable that that takes precedent? I think uh, having them down in Belleville for the playoff run, as long as they're still in it, makes the most sense. Uh, they seem like just such a tight-knit group of guys down there. Um, the team hasn't been shy to make some moves to shake the roster up, you know, mid-season. And, uh, you know, it's great. Drake Drake was thrown a, a bone earlier in the season, got a good look up in Ottawa. I think Logan Brown has more than, like, earned a look at some point. But um, I'm just really not sure if it would come at the expense of pulling them out of that playoff race if they're still in it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Henry. I think just it's – the culture and the vibe in Belleville is just really positive and optimistic right now. And especially when you have Drake and Logan just playing so well in the American Hockey League. And they've got something to play for. Like I said earlier, they're not out of the playoff hunt just yet. So I would I would agree and say keep Batherson and Logan Brown in the AHL down the stretch to help them build that confidence and keep developing in a good culture like Belleville, rather than bring them up in Bel- bring them up, sorry, to Ottawa and maybe seeing them struggle a little bit and maybe get a little down on themselves and not developing as properly and quickly as they can. They've done a pretty good job developing over the last nine games, where Belleville's won six of those nine games and scoring at a pretty outrageous pace. In the six wins in those nine games, thirty-three goals for. Two of those nine wins, the game winner was scored by Philip Schlappick, maybe a tier below in terms of prospect level than Batherson and Brown. Would your kind of expectation in terms of a call-up be different for he and Balsers? I know you liked Balsers' game on Saturday, didn't you? Yeah, I thought even last night, too, against Carolina, he's just looking like less, well, he's looking more comfortable, I guess, in the NHL, you could say. Um, Schlappick, too, like I guess, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying he looks like he's kind of taking a step back this year. So I think it's really tough to evaluate just given the injuries he's gone through. Um, Just like lots of nagging things, blocking a shot here and there. Uh, But he's just consistently, same as last year, he just consistently puts up one or two points. He's not a big three, four, five, six-point game kind of guy like uh, Drake or Logan have shown. Um, And yeah, say Ottawa, whatever happens after the deadline, if they're scrambling to fill some spots, bring up Chalapic, give him a little bit of a longer look. Maybe his... His confidence needs that uh, that NHL boost that, you know, Drake and Logan, I don't think they'd need, you know, the, the confident shot of coming up to the NHL at this point. They're just crushing the AHL right now. You've been following Schlappick since his days on Prince Edward Island and also with the Czech World Junior team where he's super feisty. That's where he kind of came onto the scene with me, kind of taking on the Canadian team as though it was just, just another team, not as though they were such big underdogs, but... What really stood out to me when I was looking over his stats recently is the amount of shots on goal he's getting. He's got 28 shots in the last nine games. Uh, is that something that's been a part of his game growing up? Seems to be that way, as has the uh, the feistiness. i got to say, I think I think he cracked 100 penalty minutes in the queue, or he was like something like two or four penalty minutes away from doing it in a season. I know guys love seeing that 100 on their stat sheet at the end of the year, but uh, that's it's one thing that Chlapik almost has to work on is um, finding chemistry with line mates can be a little bit tough because he's a little bit unpredictable, kind of bouncing between uh, full-on playmaker to a guy who's literally looking like, um, you know, he has a spot right on the Carolina Hurricanes throwing everything on net. Yeah, and you were you were pretty close, actually. His last year in uh, Charlottetown, he was one minor penalty away from getting that uh, triple digit in the PIM category. 
got to give it to the ref at the end of the game if that's the case. Like, yeah, please. yeah, just just say something yeah. really inappropriate and get that 10-minute 10, <laughs> 10 penalty. Yeah, uh, get over it. Some of the young stars last year may have been cursing and maybe getting in trouble with the coach rather than the referee, and that's because Kurt Kleinendorf did not like playing his young players in top six roles. Have you really noticed that as a change in philosophy in the organization with Troy Mann coming in? That's the biggest thing. Player utilization. He's given the top prospects like every opportunity to succeed. Um, look at Ballison and Brown. Like pair him with a veteran like Nick Paul, and they're a legit first line uh, AHL line. Um, they're getting that serious power play time. Um, I don't. You, you can't discount to the effect of uh, you know what did what did Randy Lee's influence over Belleville have in addition to Coach K last year. Um, that's an often I think overlooked effect on the whole Sens org this season. And like, just look at what uh, Francis Perron is doing out in San Jose this season. Yeah. Like, he's he's pretty much matching his totals from the past two seasons in the Sens org, uh, halfway through his first year over there. Yeah, and it, that's Francis Perron. Like, that's kind of a guy that nobody really expected to do to do that well. And then he goes over to San Jose, and I would I would argue you wouldn't think that that team would be as good as Belleville is now, but he seems to be lighting up there and. To your point, it just it seemed like Coach K just didn't have the right ideas of how to develop these guys. So I'm just so stoked that um, our new head coach in Belleville is doing a much better job of doing what the purpose of having a minor league team is and developing these prospects properly. So it's great to see that top line of Brown, Batherson, and Paul just thriving. Yeah, it's also nice seeing Marcus Hogberg uh, coming up with a few big games. Now his save percentage still... Not elite, but there are. He is facing. I think most of his shots are of a higher danger uh, than a team that can kind of keep it on the outside a little bit better. But I mean, five zero and two in his last seven starts, and uh, I, I've really liked his development. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is with Gustafson in his first pro year. Now we'll get into Joey Decord as well. How much do you think the landscape of the goaltending situation and the depth in Ottawa uh, has shifted? I guess we can throw Nielsen's name into the mix there too. That's it. I was actually just going to start with Nielsen too, right? Like great story. Um, seems like an awesome guy here in the community. Ran into him at Whole Foods the other day. Absolute monster. Yeah. Um, but like he was available for a sixth round pick for a reason. I think at this point, you kind of have an idea of who he is, what he is. He's an NHL backup who has put together a few hot streaks throughout uh, throughout his career. So that's great. Um, but yeah, I don't know. If you're looking at kind of the Sens, the Sens goalie landscape right now, um, I don't see Craig Anderson moving away from being sort of the, the rock again next season. Um, I put a big asterisk next to Mike Condon's name. Like, is you know, is he in hiding? What's going on? I'd probably just write him off. Wouldn't even expect him to be part of any sort of future plans, um, which would hopefully open the door to Hogberg actually getting uh, a, a real look with not a completely, you know, bare bones team in front of him in the NHL. If he could be worked in as a as a backup next season, then you can, you know, have a guy like Gustafson. I mean, look at the steps that Hogberg took from last season to this season in Belleville. Um, maybe someone like Joey Decord turns pro. He can be pushing Gustafson in the AHL. Although, if you know, like the Sens, the Sens track history, I'd expect him to uh, to maybe want to bring in a veteran presence to you know mentor the one of the young guys down in uh, Belleville. Brampton's Brampton's not that far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
I, I, sorry, uh, I want to go back to Nielsen because I think it's it's a very interesting uh, kind of domino effect with, like you said, with how the Senators decide to play Nielsen. I've heard a couple different things thrown around. Uh, basically, there's a couple options. Either you extend him, ride him out to the rest of the season, or trade him. Now, it sounded like you you weren't too confident in uh, keeping him around. He's kind of a, a big goalie that has had some hot streaks that's allowed him to stay in the NHL. So what what's your idea of what the Sens should should do with him before the trade deadline? If there's a team that's coming at Ottawa with the right price, just flip them now. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, if if the goal is a rebuild, then just sell at this point if he's got any value. That's what I do. Yeah, I like that. And just to get back to your point briefly about the development, Marcus Hogberg mm-hmm. year one to year two. Uh, he only got to play 34 games split between uh, Brampton and Belleville last season. Philip Gustafson's already started 30 games for Belleville or played in 30 games. And to me, that's an enormous number. I don't think the organization would have expected it to be that high either. Uh, but I think going forward, it, it can only be beneficial. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think they expected it or they wanted it. I love that they called them up this week. Um, just throw him a bone like, hey, man, sorry, we kind of put you through that stuff. Well, yeah. Belleville had a totally depleted roster. He was playing every game. You guys saw, like, Jake Patterson went in there and couldn't even stop a puck. Yeah, that um, was bad. Yeah, right. And then uh, he gets, you know, he gets, he gets a few days with Pierre Gru, too, up here in Ottawa, the, the goalie coach, to maybe see if there's some flaws that Corey Cooper's missing down in Belleville, something like that. So, um, you know, it's it's more, like you were saying, what, yeah, compared to what Hogberg did last year, already to be there at this point in the season is pretty wild, but uh, baptism by fire, I guess, for a young goalie. Yeah, Gustafson definitely got uh, the ultimate taste of what it's like to be uh, a goalie just tossed in the fire in the mindsies there. But let's let's move further down the pipe. We briefly mentioned Joey Decord. The Sens have to sign this guy, right? I mean, a seventh-round pick that you weren't really thinking is going to bloom into a lot, but he's putting up records like crazy. And from what I'm reading, he's the leading candidate for the Mike Richter Award for college's uh, best goalie. At the very least, he's got to be signed and starting in Brampton with potential to be a backup in Belleville. And when are the Sens going to just sign him already and get this deal done? Right, so hashtag Joey for Richter, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, ASU is talking about that already. It's legit. His numbers are insane. I think he is the team pretty much. I know Johnny Walker's getting a lot of hype putting up goals, but, um, you know, Decord has had a handful of 40-plus save games already that, you know, if he's not between the pipes, it's just going to go a totally different way for their program. Definitely. Um, but in that, it's almost like if if I th- I see Decord and ASU just linked so much as one, you know, I could see it, it. I think it depends on how their season goes. Like, say it ends in heartbreak. I could see him wanting to go back for another season. He, that's the thing with this NCAA prospect, right? He owns all the power. He could be like, no, I'm going to go back. True. Uh, we can deal with this after next season. Um, I am optimistic. Like he's already been to Sens dev camp four, three or four times. Um, so, and you know, I mean, I guess Ottawa, you could, you could argue, who knows? Let's see what happens with Nielsen, but there could either be, um, a pretty clear path to opportunity or a pretty crowded one. Um, you're talking about, you know, late round goalie picks. Look at a guy like, uh, Jordan Hollett yeah. in the West coast. Yeah. The Sens have to give him, a contract before 
well, in the next couple of months. Otherwise, he can hop back into the 2019 draft because he turns 20 next month. So um, I don't think he's really done anything to uh, deserve a contract from the Sens right now. He hasn't really earned it. But who knows if, if one of the Western scouts is really, you know, pulling for Hollett. That just kind of adds another name into the mix um, for Decor to see. So all to say, I think he has, he has a lot of power um, and sort of control over his own destiny and wouldn't be surprised if he takes his time to make a decision. Yeah. I, w- I would really hope that he uh, is, is ambitious and would like to get his pro career started right away. And I mean, Ross, when we talked to him, he sounded like a really ambitious guy. And when, when you have such connections like his dad with uh, the goaltending program that he has, that's so famous around the league, I, I think it would it would make total sense for him to just push all forward to his pro career and but like you said it depends on how his season ends and how he's feeling but I'm I'm ready for Joey to court as soon as he can come and especially it'd be great to see him in Brampton. Well, Joey also l- puts a lot of time and thought into his gear and his helmet yeah. and uh, you'll Always notice looking fresh. you'll notice on the right side right by his ear he's got an Ottawa Senators logo so clearly it does hold a place in in his heart if he's putting a putting that on his gear. Uh, I want to stick with some NCAA prospects now, moving over to uh, North Dakota, who I don't think are having the type of season they would like. Uh, usually an elite program, I'd say they're teetering on good to very good in terms of their play this year. But uh, there's been an opportunity that opened up with Colton Pullman, who's the captain of the North Dakota team, uh, who's out with injury. So I know that's giving JBD a bit more of an opportunity here to play some bigger minutes, but uh, let, let's first talk about Johnny Tyconic because he was kind of in and out of the lineup at the start of the uh, the season and then out with injury. What's the latest on him? Is he back full full tilt in the lineup? Well, I think just to go back, you, you touch on a really important point when you're looking at both JBD and Tyconic is that this is a super weird, super weird season down in UND. Uh, they're low scoring and they're relatively young. Normally they're, you know, a high flying offense, lots of older um, solid, solid NCAA season. So that's got a, a solid trickle-down effect to Tyconic, well, to, to both the defenders there, uh, the sense prospects. Um, so, yeah, Tyconic, right? I mean, he got health-bombed early in the season. I've uh, been moving around the lineup. Like, the first couple months, he would he would often dress as a seventh defenseman and wouldn't even play the third period um, if it was a close game. And then uh, he slowly started working his way back up the lineup and then got hurt, right? He's out for about two months, start of uh, from the start of December until about the end of January. I think it was seven weeks. So uh, that's just like a tough, you know, road bump to go through in your freshman season. But um, you know, they say adversity builds character. So let's see where that goes. Great to see that. You know, the past couple games, their last series against Denver, he was on the power play with JVD PP one. So um, that's that's a good sign. And you know. In context, I wouldn't worry too much about the offensive stats he's put up this season because uh, no one's really doing much on that team right now. Would you expect both of them to return for a sophomore year? Uh, sophomore year? I know it's still pretty early, though. Yeah, big time. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tyconic's looking at two more full seasons in the NCAA at this point, um, just because he's also, you know, got some he's got some work to do on, on the defensive side of the game. Um, JBD though, Bernard Docker, holy smokes, future stud, hundred percent. I think uh, I think Sens fans are not as excited as they should be about this kid. Almost out of sight, out of mind. I don't think many people really have uh, the outlet to watch full games. They're seeing it through your eyes, almost in terms of. <laughs> uh, I remember he had a couple overtime goals at the start of the season. Really, 
uh, almost like Maxime Lajoie in a way, really came out of the gate flying offensively. Um, but there's going to be growing pains coming from Junior A into into the Ralph, right? Like such a a major um, area where where you're on a, the the big stage, I guess, is what I'm looking at uh, to say there. Um, I mentioned leaving early, and just to set this up for any listeners who aren't very familiar with Josh Norris's season, got off to a flying start, was also nominated for the Hobie Baker, I believe. Uh, I know he was Quinn, one of the candidates. Okay, candidate, yeah, because Quinn Hughes also from Michigan, but uh, his season ended prematurely due to the World Juniors, where he separated his shoulder or had had he had shoulder surgery. Uh, he said he's going to stay at Michigan. He's going to finish his classes this season. He's going to stay there to support the guys. Does this change the plan going forward to signing him? However, if anything, it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise for the Sens. If Norris had continued to rip it up this year at Michigan. Say the sense kind of forced, had their hands forced, or we're just so inclined that, yeah, we want to sign this guy, get him in the lineup, you know, hook him up with his best friend Brady. Um, that would have kicked off his contract this season, right? His ELC, which Alan would have Colin White. Exactly. And that would have meant that he would have had to be exposed in the, or he would have had to be protected in the upcoming Seattle expansion draft, too. Yeah. So, um, you know, by. Yeah, then that's sort of like a trickle down that's looking looking far far in the future. But by not having that happen this season, it means that he's going to be the Sens don't have to use a protection spot on him in that uh, in an expansion draft um, a few years down the road. So um, for you know a couple reasons, I think I think that's a, a stroke of good fortune. Although he was having an awesome season. But in the middle of the summer, could the Sens kind of regroup? And if they if they sign him to a contract in the summer, would he need to be protected? No, because then his contract, as long as he's not burning a year of the contract by playing an NHL game or uh, NHL or pro game this season, I think he's good. Okay, so that'll be an interesting storyline, kind of like Sens fans were waiting if Brady Kachuk was going to go back to for his sophomore year. This would be Josh Norris's junior year if he does decide to go back. His sophomore season, I mentioned, ended early after 17 games where he scored 10 goals, 19 points, had six points in seven games at the World Juniors, plus six there as well. Um, and we haven't spoke to you since the Carlson trade, and that brings me to the next guy I want to talk about because Rudolph Balser's uh, was interesting in the sense that Brandon and I did our own top 10 cents prospects, and the one that differentiated the furthest in our two lists was Rudolph Balser's. Where on the hierarchy of sends prospects would you rate Balser's? Oof. Uh, I think he's uh, he's sort of a tier two type prospect. I think he could really make an impact at the NHL level. What is it? He's 12, 10, 12 games in already, and he's looking like he's okay. He's understanding the, the flow of the game. Um, he needs to, he needs to get stronger though, man. He gets bumped yeah. off the puck. Like it's no problem. Um, was even happening in the AHL a little bit, although he could kind of get around it with some of his skill and, uh, and just getting the puck off. I guess you have that extra half second, full second down there, but um, you know, you, you got to see Mike Hoffman in his game, just the way that he's got that insane release for just a, a pretty slightly built guy. Yeah, and we'll spoil it here. I'll I'll be honest. Maybe it's a little biased because a lot of uh, my time I'm watching games in Belleville and making replays for goal highlights. So I'm pretty high on Rudolph Balsers. I had Balsers as the only prospect ahead of him, in my opinion, was Drake Batherson. So I think 
a lot of the things you said is true about Balsters. When he's playing in the NHL, there's been times where I've thought he was the best player on the Senators, even though he hadn't scored or even got on the point uh, on the score sheet. And I just think the sky's the limit for this guy, especially if, like you said, if he got a little bit stronger because he is a bit of a small guy. So playing in the NHL right now is quite difficult, but he just puts up points wherever he goes. So I've got a lot of uh, expectations for Balsers, and we'll see if he can meet them. Yeah, although I, I had him a bit lower. I had him at uh, at eight for me. Um, I, I do like all, all of what Pillar said. He's got a nose for the net, but I don't know. Just something about the size, and maybe that's kind of my old school mentality of thinking, but I guess the, the it's never been better to be a small player in the NHL than it is today, so maybe going forward that could help him out. Um, do you, do you see him as a full-time NHLer next season, or do you think he might need one more season a la Philip Schlappick? Yeah, I think he's going to have, uh, at least half full season in the AHL next year for sure. Yeah. So you're expecting this, uh, call up to be brief, not for the rest of the season. I don't think so. Um, but yes, yeah, like, let's see what happens with the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I love, I love to see that the chemistry that, you know, Balters and Batherson had earlier this season and it's just becoming, uh, you know, we see more and more games as it just whoever you're putting with Drake Batherson, he's going to have, have chemistry with them. Like it says, Mark Stone 2.0. Before we get into who you think the number one sense prospect is, I want to talk about a few graduates who are full-time NHLers. Brady Kachuk, we were very excited, all three of us last time we spoke, because they had just drafted him fourth overall. We were all over the moon and then he signed, and he came out of the gate hot. He had a great start, was getting in everyone's face, and then a bit of a lull. So where are you at with Brady? It was kind of expected, right, coming from college? Yeah, it's a long season. He's never done something like this, right? So you got to think that slowed him down a bit. Uh, he's, I think he's just gotten pretty unlucky lately, too. Like, look at McElhinney. He had just, a, I thought, a really good save on him uh, last night, whereas uh, last week against the Ducks, he got kind of a garbage goal. Um, that was, you know, I'd say a worse chance than a number of, you know, half dozen, dozen chances he's had over the past month and a half. Um, at this point, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see, you know, what do you, what games do you have to get up for the rest of the season? Well, Ottawa plays Calgary twice. So he gets to play against his brother. You got to think that's going to be just, they got to be circled on his calendar, right? Like that's going to be huge for him. So, um, I'm excited to see how he gets up for those games. Well, and that's on this road trip, I think, ends in Calgary, where uh, the following day is the NHL trade deadline. So it's going to be uh, quite an interesting um, situation for all the Senators who Mark Borowiecki admitted everyone will be packing a little bit heavier on this trip. And Colin White impressed you coming into development camp, bigger, stronger, looking like a leader. That's That's continued into the season, hasn't it? Awesome, man. I hope, I hope more people kind of take it as a, as a little bit of a, a lesson that, you know, prospects can grow just leaps and bounds from season to season in their first few, few years as a pro. I don't know what he worked, who he was working with in the summer. I think uh, it was somebody said uh, it was some Patriots strength trainers maybe, but that's insane. I am, I am a little bit concerned though about his, uh, how his shoulders doing after he got absolutely rocked by Jake Muzzin about a month ago. Um, I was actually looking at it today. He's, he's only taken four shots in six games since coming back from that. Uh, before getting hurt, he was up close to say two shots a game. So uh, I really hope that there's nothing, you know, that's still kind of lingering there or something that is going to be a hundred percent coming into next season. Right. Um, 
because he got lit up there on that play. Yeah, that's one of the biggest hits of the season, especially with that corner camera angle where you just see it right when you see his head down, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Like, oh, those boards don't move very much either, and he felt all of it. But that's the kind of thing where you'd hope maybe right after the trade deadline you just shut it down if, if it's not getting better. Yeah. Because he's an RFA at the end of the season. I don't want to spend too much time, but we're seeing all these young players out of their entry-level contracts get these monster deals. Maybe maybe he won't be up there in terms of value, especially how he burned that first year off. So he's almost getting to this contract a year early. But is he the kind of guy that you would buy up the rest of his RFA years and maybe even a couple of UFA years? Sens are going to have to get to the cap floor eventually if guys are moved. So is he the kind of guy that you'd bet on and give him, let's say, a six-year contract right away? Yeah, I definitely would, so long as there's no red flags coming from the team doctors. How much do you trust them? But uh, if everything's looking good, you know, I'm just totally speculating on this injury too. But um, I definitely think how he burned his first year playing three, four total games and then, you know, injury derailing things a little bit this year. Last year probably wasn't what anybody hoped. Um, that works in the organization's favor to, to get a favorable contract. And then, yeah, let's eat up some of those years if he's years if he's willing to take a little bit of a lower value. The back end is made up of pretty much all youngsters. Cody CC being 25 is the elder statesman in terms of salary. I'm sure Boro's got a couple of years on him, but uh, they're all young and none younger than uh, Maxime Lajoie, who I mentioned came out flying out of the gate. I, I've been of the mind for, I think, longer than most that I want to see him and Willinen flipped. I don't think Lajoie is an everyday NHLer yet. Uh, do you disagree with me? Do you think he's done enough to show that he is capable of playing at the NHL level every single night? No, not at all. A hundred percent with you. I think they should be flipped. Don't know why he isn't back in Belleville now. Uh, just, he had a brutal job covering the post last night on one of the hurricanes goals in the third period. Um, and, uh, you know, throwback, it's, it just doesn't even feel like it was from this season, but, you know, whatever came out of the Ubergate situation back in whenever that was, October, you got to wonder, like, what is the respect level of the room towards the coaches? And you got Boots uh, coaching down in Belleville, is, you know, renowned for his work with young defensemen. Um, look at, you know, Shabbat and Willen and who spent time, you know, Lajoie was there last season, but... I definitely think he should be back down there and will end and should be up in Ottawa. Yeah, kind of a cool note. Paul Boutillier, of course, Boots, uh, former head coach of the St. John Sea Dogs as well, so came with Thomas Shabbat, was his head coach uh, during his junior uh, career. Um, I, I, okay, we've, we've teased it enough. Who is the Sens' number one prospect, Mr. Sens' prospects? It's got to be the Drake, you know, oh, friend yeah. of the show. You know, I'd love to see what Logan's been doing. Big fan of his in general, but uh, it's got to be the Drake right now. Like, how is it not? How about that AHL All-Star game, too? Yeah, two-time AHL Player of the Week. The All-Star game, not All-Star MVP. Not bad. The week after, another Nova Scotian gets the NHL MVP for the All-Star game in Sidney Crosby. He had to match that, get another one for the province. That was the correct answer, and really the only answer, but... This one can go a few different ways. Who is the forgotten prospect? Like a guy who you think believe you believe has a shot at being a, a real productive NHLer, but nobody's talking about. And unfortunately, you can't say Luca Burzan. They didn't sign him. I saw that. I saw he just hit his 30th goal in the dub this year, too. <laughs> I saw that. Um, okay, I'm going to give you three answers here because uh, I like this question. Um, there's a prospect no one's heard of, Todd Burgess. 
I think he gets he, he burns a year after with injury after getting drafted in 2016. I don't think you know 99% of fans have ever heard his name, and he's not really doing much in the NCAA. Uh, you have second Miles Gendron down at uh, UConn. He's the captain there, but you know he's picked in 2014. Technically, still part of the organization. I don't really see any future with him. He hasn't really blossomed into a potential pro. Um, the one that nobody's talking about, though, who could have a shot. At, a, at being a productive NHLer, I think uh, he was hyped last season, you know, NCAA signing. I think a lot of uh, TSN late season list. He was part of the Sens top five, top 10 prospects. Pierre Dorian loved him at uh, a dev camp this summer. It's Andrew Sturtz. Huh. Dude, is, dude, he has had, yeah, he, he, right. I mean, he could not, have, you know, could not have, he's not on anybody's list right now. He's just been waylaid by injuries this season incredibly like high intensity, high work and player, but uh, he played 15, 20 games this season. 15 with Belleville. Yeah. 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 Former Carlton place Canadian as well. Big, big time. All he's done anywhere he's played is score. And so it's almost like this season is just a write off, burn it. Um, but nobody is talking about him. So I think he fits the bill. That's awesome. And I, I want to get your thoughts on the forgotten prospect that I had written down and he plays for maybe a Memorial Cup favorite, and that's Parker Kelly with the Prince Albert Raiders. Oh, spot on. He's, man, they're a wagon this season. I mean, like, they've lost, what, six, seven? Yeah, games or six, like six that. losses. I think the it's 34-7-2. and two. Yeah, crazy team. They're just rolling. So would be great if, if they're able to go deep and he's able to contribute. Um, he's right around a point a game, which is, awesome because they're so stacked he's really not getting a lot of power play time he's doing a lot of his production five on five and shorthanded too great penalty killer can finish well uh well down a man and um you know he was i think him and brady co-shared the uh hardest workers at at this year's dev camp you know as in for for him to have been signed the previous year as an invitee to camp says a lot about him so um it's just tough to get you know, uh, a read on him too much just because of you'd expect sort of your your higher end prospects to be playing, you know, top line, top power play, wherever they are. So he is taking an interesting path to the NHL, that's for sure, if and he ever gets there. Just to correct myself, they're 45-7-2, the Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, they've wow. scored 249 goals in 54 games. So he's playing on a pretty offensive heavy team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when he turns pro. But I think there's a misconception about him because, as you mentioned, he was signed as an invitee to dev camp or, or to rookie camp after um, mm-hmm. that he's older, but he's a 99 birth year. He's 19 years old. So it's not like they have an older prospect on their hands. He's got it. He's got a lot of time left to develop. Totally. I, I look at him as like a 2017 draft pick who basically the Sens had, I think four picks that year, or five, five picks. So, they just that was a guy they would have drafted, you know, in their in their last round if they'd had the pick. Yeah, yeah. And he's played a lot of hockey. Like I'm looking at his hockey DB right now. He's in his fourth year in the dub and playing pretty much full seasons. So he definitely has the experience under his belt, especially as a 19 year old. So it'll be interesting to see where Parker Kelly ends up. Big time. He didn't look out of place in Belleville at the end of the season last year too. So. It'll be interesting, I think, to see who goes to Belleville at the end of this season. We'll leave you with this. No matter what happens again at the trade deadline, and I mentioned the guys coming up, 
But what about the guys, and we didn't even mention Yarosh, so he could be an option as well in this, but Lajoie, Yarosh, White, I think, and White and Kachuk maybe to a lesser extent. Hmm. The Ottawa Senators play their last game. They do finish the season with four games and six nights, ending on April 6th. Belleville plays three games after that to finish their regular season, two of them against the Marlies. They could have a lot of playoff implications. Do these full-time now NHLers, do you bring them down or do you say good job on a season well done, rest up for next year? If if Belleville is that close, that's that is a really interesting situation to be in. That's like pretty sure the Montreal Expos did that with the Ottawa Lynx the year that the Lynx won the AAA baseball season. They they just sent down all their players to make this this cup run. Um, and you know there won't be likely these re- CHL reinforcements in uh, Formanton and Kelly. Both their teams look like they're going to go deep towards the Memorial Cup, so they probably won't be available for Belleville in the playoff push. So. Um, I could see it with a guy like Lajoie. I just don't know if the first rounders, though, if that if that's like Kachak and White, is that? Yeah, is it worth putting them through it? Like it's almost like an ego thing, you think? Yeah, I don't know. Or you know, who knows? Like, are they bad? They got you know they're they both missed time, significant time with injuries this season too. So um, if I had to put my money on it, I'd say they're not getting sent down. If you want to go real crazy, I don't believe Thomas Shabbat needs waivers either. So why don't we just take a <laughs> run here at the Calder Cup? That'd be absolutely nuts. Like it wouldn't put it, wouldn't all the crazy things are happening to this team this year. So who knows? But I don't think so. I don't think it's happening. And let's just uh, quantify that. We are joking. We do obviously yeah. go to a lot of the Belleville games. So it's almost just <laughs> selfishly being like, Hey, we're going to get to see Brady down there. Oh, I would love yeah. to see Brady in the AHL, especially, uh, as you like to put, making the friendship tour uh, go around oh, all along oh, yeah. the Mindsies with Brady Kachuk just <laughs> introducing himself to some of these players that haven't had a chance to play against him yet. I think that would be hilarious. Hey, it's the only place he would be able to see Philip Zadina this year. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, we'll see it. who's filling whose puck with, uh, or whose nets with pucks, eh? Yeah. Yeah, big time. That's Love awesome. It. Thanks so much for joining us, Henry. We really appreciate it. And uh, with the uncertainty going into the trade deadline, uh, we might have to have you back on to dissect uh, potential incoming pieces to the Sens prospect pool uh, in the next few weeks. You bet, guys. Anytime. Happy to be, uh, very happy to be a friend of the show. So you got my number. Recurring guests now can never say no. Thank you once again to Sense Prospects, a.k.a. Henry, for joining us. And as we mentioned, it's probably likely that we'll talk to him soon when Ottawa gets an influx of young talent after the trade deadline. I love how uh, the most excited he got is when he got a chance to tell us about people we never heard of, probably will never hear of, and are just almost irrelevant, but he just loves digging through the prospects and finding those those guys that have slipped through the cracks and who he still thinks has potential. I'm gonna Andrew Sturtz, I was not expecting that one as his big number one forgotten prospect. So hopefully we get to see more of him in Belleville. Yeah, a couple of injuries have almost derailed his season, but still a lot of development ahead. And as Henry mentioned, he scored at every level he's played at local in the sense that he played for the Carlton Place Canadians. So, you know, the Senators organization loves that. Do you think that will be a factor in any potential trade? Let's start with Matt Duchesne because he's the the most recent of these players who has been traded in the past, coming to Ottawa in the middle of last season. Who 
would be the biggest suitors? Do you think that the same teams who were after him when Ottawa got him, Nashville, Columbus, are those the same teams we're going to hear creep up? Yeah, I was just about to say the the biggest suitor in in my mind has got to be the Nashville Predators. I mean, they've been looking for that coveted number one center, and I believe they still are. I mean, Ryan Johansson is a great center, but I wouldn't say he's a true elite number one center. He's more of a a 1B kind of centerman, whereas Duchesne, kind of the same argument. I'm I'm more on the side that he is an elite number one center, but a lot of people argue he's not quite there. So if you have Duchesne as a 1A, Johansson as a 1B, Turris as your prototypical 2, and then Brian Boyle down there as well, because uh, my my guess is if Duchesne is going to Nashville, then they're going to have to send a centerman back. And the guy on my list is probably going to be Nick Benino. I mean, you're looking at a $4.1 million cap hit for the next three seasons. That's probably too rich for Nashville's pocket if they're planning on trading for Duchesne and extending him. So he's the guy I would see as the sort of return roster piece coming back from Nashville. The kind of piece that everyone would expect to be in trade talks with Nashville for one of the bigger pieces would be Ellie Tolvanen made famous as the MVP in the Olympics last year as a 19 year old played in the world juniors um, really had a coming out party because he fell in the draft after Boston college. And he split ways after it seemed like he had had a scholarship all set up to go there ends up in the KHL playing for the Finnish team. Of course, he's a Finnish native um, and proceeds to have a great year. Has 11 goals in the playoffs there. Uh, this year, he hasn't really found a home in Nashville. Three points in four games, but they want to see him play better on the other side of the puck. They might have to open up, be open to the fact to trade him. Would that be a big enough piece to center a package around for a guy like Matt Duchesne? Yeah, and I think first I want to pre- preface these talks off with Neither Ross or I wants to see these trades happen. This is speculation on what what we see possibly could happen. So take take it with a grain of salt when you're listening to that. But I think definitely, I mean, pretty much all the kind of trade propositions that I've sort of made up include a roster player, a top prospect, and the most important thing is a first-round pick. So he would definitely be that top prospect with a lot of high upside and Nashville's shown in in the past they're not afraid to move high-end prospects to get what they need to bolster their roster and uh Poyle he's he's been around a long time he knows how this game works and he's been very good I would say he wins most of the trades he does it's it really seems that way so and he, he like I said he's not afraid to give up the futures for to make his team better right now another player to keep an eye on especially after you heard Um, Pierre Dorian talks so glowingly just about the fact that Josh Norris is friends with Brady Kachuk and what that off-ice relationship can turn into chemistry on the ice or in the locker room. And that's Dante Fabro, a a former teammate of uh, Brady Kachuk's at Boston University, a right-shot defenseman, always a coveted position. He's a bit undersized, but in today's NHL, if you can move the puck like Dante Fabro can, 